0: Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We got a big show for you today, as we always do. Lots of interesting stuff. We want to give you some takeaways. We're going to talk about issues that impact the industry that we know as food, fuel, fiber. It's farming. It's finances. It's food. It's all the things that we do out here in rural America making our business of agriculture prospers. Today, we're gonna to talk about misconceptions among the masses that are often generated by the media. We're gonna talk about farms, who does the farming, how big these farms are, land usage in the USA, how much land is in farmland. You ever notice, and I know that you're you're coming from all different walks of agriculture. I've got hog people, I've got canola people, I've got everything from, you know, from cotton to, to citrus. You ever notice that you'll meet somebody from town, you'll meet somebody from the suburbs, and those people will, they'll, They'll get in a conversation with you and they'll say, right, they'll go right to something about what they heard about Monsanto, what they saw on Food Inc., what the, the station, you know, either listening to NPR told them about agriculture and how farmers are going broke or how uh, farmers are all old or nobody wants to go into agriculture. So, we're going to talk about some of those misconceptions. I've got a tremendous guest today, a guy that knows a lot. He's, he knows way more than me. So, please, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, we're also going to talk about the ag economy. Uh, We got some data that my special guest has dug up. It's going to fascinate. It might agitate, but it's going to be really interesting to you. We're going to talk about the ag economy. And then for fun, we're going to close out today's podcast talking about milk because my special guest, like me, is a dairy farm kid. Grew up milking cows. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about social media fighting, and he's going to give you his parting thoughts. So again, you're listening to The Business of Agriculture. I'm your host, Damian Mason, where we try to give you some takeaway, usable information every time you tune in, something interesting, something insightful, something a little bit entertaining, something you can use, maybe even innovative. And today we've got a heck of an innovator. He is Dr. Jack Britt, scientist. Teacher and entrepreneur, the man is in his early 70s. Still keeps up one heck of a schedule, traveling around the country, goes internationally, I believe, occasionally. He'll tell us more about that. He teaches, he consults. He's got a small business or two. He's a smart guy. Spent 40 years with industry. Uh, sorry, with academia as a professor. He is a PhD. He's Jack Britt, and he's joining you today here on the Business of Agriculture. Jack Britt, welcome.
1: Damien, thank you. It's uh, great to be on your show and uh, in the podcast. And I've seen you a lot at various meetings, and it's great to be doing this together.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying that. I uh, I, I got to tell you, here's the deal, listeners: a little bit of background. What we we came together, and this is how it works. I mean, agriculture, as we all know, is a small fraternity. Jack Britt. And I knew one another a little bit from uh, social media, or maybe we saw each other on the circuit, then we connected on social media. The last time I believe I saw him was at the Alpha Gamma Row Conference in Omaha, Nebraska. It was August a year ago. I tell you, I didn't put on my best program. Uh, It was two days after I buried my mother. I had just been through a lot of farm estate management and haggling with my siblings and some various other things that were quite unpleasant. So I wasn't as good on the stage as I really wanted to be. I always point out that was about a B average, and I I strive for a little better than that. But Jack Britt was all-forgiving because he himself is a veteran of the stage, also of the academic forum. He's been in front of kids that were hung over the day after a big football game. He understands that you're never gonna be as good as you wanna be. As we say in the speaking business, there's three speeches. You know this, right, Jack? There's three speeches now that you're doing more talking on the road for corporate clients. There's the speech you uh, plan to give, there's the speech you give, and then there's a speech you wish like heck you'd have given when you're driving home after you gave the speech. So uh, those are the three speeches. Anyway, Jack Britt, tell our listeners here on the Business of Agriculture just a little bit about yourself. Damien, thanks for having me on again. uh, I'm a farm
1: boy, grew up in Kentucky on a dairy farm, uh, intended to go back to the farm. When I was uh, finishing up in my uh, last year in college, I worked as an artificial insemination technician on the weekends and holidays as a relief technician. And I got interested in embryo transfer in cattle. And that stimulated me to end up going to graduate school rather than back to the farm. And so I've been involved in, in the future, if you will, ever since.
0: We, uh, we have this thing, and this is what's wonderful. Jack Britt's a little older than me. Like I said, he's in his early 70s and he's got a wealth of experience. He does not pull that thing like some people do lamenting about progress. Oh, the good old days. Oh gosh. Well, I remember when we had our John Deere 4020 and our farm all H and we went out here and here's how daddy did it. We know that that's nostalgia at best. It's also crippling. And in this industry, we should always look forward because every other industry does. Ford Motor Company doesn't still trot out their Model T and tell you how wonderful that was. It was neat. It was innovative. That is yesterday's innovation. Jack Britt's an innovator, he goes around and teaches about some of this innovation. Uh, Embryo transfer—I think I saw in your write-up—and uh, obviously you and I have met; we know one another. But I think I saw something there. You were uh, an animal scientist. Tell me again, again, animal scientists and uh, uh, my, biochemist. Biochemist, right? Biochemist. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. You did something. He keeps up with the issues affecting agriculture. He's an embryo transfer guy. He has, he has uh, all this wealth of information, all this background, but he also does active posting on social media. You should follow him. His name is Jack Britt, B-R-I-T-T on LinkedIn. If you want to see some interesting information, I keep up with him. Jack Britt, your post about four days ago was about misconceptions on farm numbers. Uh, you said, surprise, surprise, it's not like what the media might tell you, or you said, ignore the media hype. You said from 1974 to today, 2017, the numbers have been a great deal more static, a lot more stable than maybe the uh, hype factory would let us know. So, you know, expand a little bit on that, but we're talking about 43 odd years and what's your finding from the NASS and your own research?
1: David, that's a that's a good question. And we, we always hear people talking about we're losing farms, losing farms, losing farms, And actually we've been very stable in terms of average farm size and the percentage of our land in farming and the number of farms since about 1974. If one goes back before World War II, we had more farms, but after World War II, we had a lot of farm boys that came back home and under the GI Bill, they went back to school, got, got more education, and they're the people who ended up going into building the industry of the country after World War II. And so we had a drop in number of farms from about 45 to about 65 or so uh, along that range, but we've stabilized, and we continue to farm about the same number of acres. We're farming about 900 million acres in the U.S. today. Uh, Back in in the uh, early 70s, we were farming uh, just slightly over a billion acres, so... Uh, about a mid hundred billion acre change.
0: Yeah. Less. Now that's, what's going to strike a lot of people. Let's go to the first point. Okay. We all know the greatest generation They came back from world war II. Uh, they went to work in factories. They built, uh, homes in Levittown. We, we know, we know what happened then if we're a fan of history as you and I both are, we had the greatest economic expansion, perhaps that uh, the world had ever seen between 1946 and say the 60s, 70s, or even onto the eighties here, arguably till today. Now, what we saw also though was we didn't lose production. We did not lose bushels per acre, nor pounds of milk, nor pounds of beef, nor pounds of pork or chicken. We didn't lose any of that and we had less people doing it. Our our suburban friends oftentimes don't understand this, that we were obviously just doing less with more, less with more, or, I'm sorry, more with less people. You know,
1: in 1945, uh, when I was born, the average yield of corn in the United States was about 23 bushels per acre. Today, it's about 172 bushels per acre. We're producing 700% as much corn on a 34% less land, less corn land than we were at that time. So that's really what's happened. We brought smart men and women into agriculture after they got that GI Bill education uh, and, and from then on, and we've started using technology. It's just been remarkable what's happened since World War II.
0: Okay, many of our listeners will kind of grasp the part about land use, and some of our suburban and urban listeners maybe won't. You said an important thing there that in about the late mid 60s, we were at 1 billion, or in 1974 even, we we're right. at 1 billion cropland acres here in. United States of America, now we're at 900 million. So we're 10% less farm land acres today. A lot of our, uh, you know, the, the tree huggers, a lot of the environmentalists will say, yeah, we paved over that and built a Walmart. And we did, we did do that. But also didn't some of those acres just go back to pasture, back to woods, back to brushland, back to wildlife property? We've put over a,
1: a, a million acres into forestry since the early 90s. So a lot of that land that was marginal farmland 30 or 40 or 50 years ago has moved back into forestry and is and is really supporting forestry and wildlife and our ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I've got, I've got about 16 of those acres here on my property. They were being farmed. I put in a drainage ditch and buffered it. And I also took a, a big chunk of curvy, Sandy stuff that was surrounded by woods on three sides. And I said, you know the smartest thing to do with this field is square it up for the guy that I rent it to and put trees and prairie grass and wetlands in this So I can have a place to come back and shoot birds or come back and drink a beer with my dog and watch the sunset So I I agree with all that So we're doing it on less acres. We're doing obviously more output with less acres But a lot of folks that don't get it Think that these farms have just been absorbed and that's one of the points I got out of your post when you said Hey you know, the media might hype this, but reality is these acres didn't just get gobbled up by some greedy corporation. They didn't get stolen from, uh, from us, from Russia. They just went away through natural attrition or through development. And there were, let's also point this out when we lament the loss of a cornfield or a a cotton patch because Walmart built over it. Somebody made money selling that cotton patch to Walmart, right? Sure, that's right. we we if we go back,
1: I, I actually made a mistake. Instead of a million, we We've put about a hundred million acres into forestry, not a million acres, but about a right. hundred million over that time. And if you look at the what's happened with farmland, it's about it's been distributed about half of it into forestry, uh, some of it into conservation programs. And some it to growth and development of the population, growth of cities and development of rural areas.
0: And we might also point out that between 1974 and today, in 43 years, I believe our population here in, in the United States, and we're not a rapidly growing country compared to like what India did or some of the other places, well, we went up maybe like 80 to 100 million during that time. So if we lost a little bit of that to homes and suburbs, that's to be understood. Okay, so we probably need to admit this. Farms are generally getting bigger in the core commodities. I mean, I can look out here and we're not talking about from this fence to this, those acres stay the same, but a farm operation in my part of the world is no longer going to be a person and his family uh, farm 400 acres. It's going to be 1,400 acres. That is true. But one thing that your chart pointed out, there is a downtick in farm acreage size, meaning the farm entity. And that I think is because of the niches, right?
1: You're right. There's two things happening there. Uh, The the farm size and the number of farmers that differ are, if we will, the the farms, a farmer today may be farming several farms. The pieces of property that they farm are not necessarily owned by that individual. They may be owned by multiple individuals and so they're leasing that land. So what you see is that our average farm size based on who owns the land and that tract of land is, is about 430 acres. But the average farmer in, uh, in the Corn Belt, for example, is probably farming a couple of thousand or more acres. Sure. So one farmer is farming more than one farm. Well, Certainly.
0: Uh, and that's where a lot of our suburban, and I, I hope, you know what, the best thing you can do, if you're listening to this program right now, again, my host, my guest is Jack Britt, uh, scientist, teacher, entrepreneur, a guy that's been around the block a few times, a Western Kentucky University grad with a, a PhD from NC State. You didn't even know there were dairy farms in western Kentucky. Well, the truth is, we don't know if there are any more, but there were back in the 50s and 60s when he was a kid. Jack Britt has given us some great information about the misconceptions about farms, farm numbers, and what the reality is versus some of the, the perception among our non-agricultural friends. Best thing you can do, if you're listening to this right now, when you say, gosh, I, I have some friends and my wife's a teacher and she's got these people that live in town and they say all kinds of crazy stuff, give them this podcast and let them listen to it and then we'll straighten them out. We're going to discuss now, speaking of our friends from suburbia, commonly used vernacular and why it's not really accurate. So, Jack Britt, you'll hear when you're out and about with non-ag people, the corporate farms. Your thoughts on that, because I know what mine Well, if you go
1: look at who owns the farms and who's farming them, about 95 percent, maybe 96 or 7 percent of the farms in the United States are still owned by families, uh, family farmers. Some of those have become incorporated, either as an LLC or corporation, strictly from a business management standpoint. Most of us that are involved in business, even if it's a small business, have a structure like that.
0: Yeah, I'm not incorporated on what I do, uh, but I have had a, uh, I have had two corporations in my 23 and a half years of running my own business, self-employment, et cetera. Right now, I'm not incorporated. But when folks say that, they say, well, I heard all the farming is done by corporate farms. I kind of point out, I say, hey, where do you take your shirts to get dry cleaned? And uh, where do you take your car to get car washed? Well, I go right down here to Sparkly, Sparkly Haven Car Wash, I said, you know, what? I looked it up, turns out that's a corporation. You go to support those evil corporate car washes. They don't realize a corporation is a business-holding legal entity. It really means nothing more than that. Are there large, huge corporate farms? Well, sure there are. There's some that are publicly traded. It is the small minority.
1: Damien, you know, one of the reasons we see a, a, a corporate structure or LLC structure today is that, it's a one way of passing the farm and the farm business from one generation to the next without losing the land or losing the resources that you have uh, as an individual sole-owned individual farm.
0: Sure. I mean, there might be some tax implications. There's also some liability issues and obviously somewhere along the lines, it just made sense to set it up that way. Another buzzword we hear a buzz phrase, loss of family farms. Now I've heard this and and I hear people say it to me when I'm on an airplane. You probably do too. I've heard that all the family farms are going away. How do you respond? (laughs)
1: Well, all the, all the farms that are still being farmed are family farms, and so it's hard to say that they're going away.
0: <laughs> I can tell you that my farm, my 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 family sold me their shares of their farm, so it's still a family. I'm the family, yeah. which is that I'm the one that ponied up the dough. Okay, farmers are getting older. Now, we do know that, but I've been hearing this since I was a kid. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I'll say there's the two thoughts on that. Farmers are getting older, but they're not getting older faster than the population is aging. So as a country, country. country. so if you look across the US, we are getting older as a country. Uh, and, And so farmers are older than the average 20 or 30 years ago, but that doesn't mean that they're not still productive and active and they're not being actually replaced by
0: people who are coming into farming. We well, make a good point that I think our listeners can say, yeah, we hear this all the time. The average age of a farmer in the United States of America is 58 and years old or 58.6 years old. Y- you know what? There's a whole bunch of people that are 58.6 years old on average. It's called the baby boom. Sure. And there's another couple of points that, uh, first off we, we are against ageism. So why would that be such a problem? If you didn't hire somebody cause they were 58 years old in a corporate America, you might be in trouble. Third thing I point oh. out, is that there are tremendous capital requirements for much of agriculture. It's hard to amass that when you're 24 years old. There's a fourth component to it. And this is a good thing for guys like you that are out there that are innovators, that are scientists, entrepreneurs. Right now, you can be 60 years old and still be extremely productive because you're not on the end of a scoop shovel all day long. You're not on the end of a pitchfork digging potatoes all day long. You actually are using ingenuity and machinery so you can still be very productive even though your back hurts a little bit because you're 60. You know,
1: I think that's great. I've had a team of people around the world that's been working on a project with me for the last uh, two years and all of them are my age or so and we're looking at the dairy industry 50 years in the future And and it's their wealth of experience that helps them look into the future.
0: We're going to get into your dairy in the future in 50 years because I promised our listeners, remember listeners, if you stay with me here on the business of agriculture, I've got Jack Britt who's brilliant and a a fellow talker, a scientist, a teacher, an entrepreneur, lots and lots of years of experience and wisdom talking about stuff that we know, talking about misconceptions among the masses, uh, you know, generated by media sometimes about all the land, farm issues, et cetera. We also are going to talk about the ag economy and we're going to close out with some milk and some other parting thoughts. So... By the way, uh, you know what? You just pointed out last one to wrap up topic number one. In my opinion, you just said we got people, a team working all around the world. Maybe the goal, since we are the most productive entity when it comes to agriculture, the United States has been an innovative driver for two centuries. Maybe the goal of these other countries that have starving children should get to where they have 60-year-old farmers also because that means that they're they're still productive and it's not as hard on
1: their back to be so. You know, Damien, one of the things we've been looking at, I think that's interesting, we hear from time to time people say we're reaching our biological limit, our limits on yield, or we're reaching those, we're reaching limits on production of milk, on growth of pigs, on all of our crops, so we we dug into that. We're not anywhere close. In fact, it's amazing, most of our record yields are three to five times the average yield, so while we have corn, an average of 170 bushels per acre. In 2014, the, rec- the record yield in the U.S. was 505 bushels. Yeah, so
0: the idea, that, the idea that our average is close to what we'll ever be able to attain is probably a real short-sighted concept because we've got so much more potential already that we're not utilizing. Yeah, it's like
1: having a car that will go 100 miles an hour and you're mostly driving it at 30 miles an hour down the road. I mean, that's, that's the kind of potential we have.
0: Uh, by the way, last thought here, uh, young people aren't going into farming. Now, I already addressed that with the capital requirements. You know what I also say, because I hear that from folks, they say, I just understand that young people aren't going into agriculture. I'm going to tell you, my, my alma mater down here at Purdue University, they say that they are trying like heck to get kids to come to the School of Agriculture because there are jobs that there are that are. Def- definitely and desperately being sought out. It's not growing the crop necessarily. It's on the business side of agriculture. You know, I think you're right.
1: The job demand in agriculture is very high. I've spoken at about a dozen farmer meetings in the last year, and you'd be amazed at the number of young farmers that are at these large farmer meetings. You go to a meeting of 500 young farmers, 500 farmers, and two-thirds of them are under 40.
0: Well, there's, so a, couple-
1: there's a lot of enthusiasm there.
0: I did a I did the Iowa Farm Bureau Young Farmer Conference in 2000 and let's say eight or nine and they were well attended at like 170 and then I did it again in about 2012 or 13 after four more years of a really record uh, ag economy man there's double the number of people there so <laughs> money brings out the masses but I would say that the real real issue there is. Sometimes there's nowhere for them to go because dad is 63 years old and still farming. But I'd also say there's plenty of opportunity for young people in the business of agriculture. Topic number two, here with my friend Jack Britt talking about all things innovation, ag economy, misconceptions about the business of agriculture. We have many farmers that believe that there's this terrible, terrible uh, problem out here in the hinterlands because they've never been out here in flyover country as it's called. And they say, now, are we losing farms. So just like they believe that we're losing farm land because Walmart paved over it, which does happen to a certain degree, they also think that these farms are just being gobbled up through some sort of uh, bankruptcy. Now, in the farm belt, we know that there's some some financial struggles here and there. We tend to be a counter-cyclical industry. The roaring 80s of the United States economy, when stock markets went crazy, we're out here dying on the vine in agriculture. 2006 to 2013, the best years I may ever see in the business of agriculture. And it was a great recession. So we're a counter-cyclical industry, but there is still this persistent belief that things are bad out here. I'm going to say it's not that bad in agriculture right now. We as an industry, I think, run for the fire exits, yelling fire faster than any other industry. Your thoughts on the ag economy? You know, the ag economy really depends on, on
1: the, the the international ag economy, uh, because we are all mostly growing and producing commodities that are in the world market. And if the whole world has a good crop like it did a couple of years ago, that, that puts a surplus on the market. And so we see a cycle downward and then we see a cycle back up. By and large, our ag economy has been strong for the last 20 or 30 years. There may be periods when it's down for a year or two, but it continues to thrive. I mean, if you drive through rural areas, uh, you don't see dilapidated houses and buildings and equipment. <laughs> we see modern
0: agriculture, and that's that's indicative of its success. And I, I guess I want to say, because right now there's somebody listening to this podcast that's going to say, hey, you know what, Jack Britton, Damian Mason, I'm out here struggling. You know what? My wife and I are really just struggling to get by, and I'm an agriculture person. No, nobody is being insensitive to your situation. Trust me, we've been around this racket long enough to know. But we also been around long enough to tell you that there was lots lots worse times. We might talk about the 30s. We might talk about the 80s. I'd say that this is ag economy average. In my perception, in my 48 years of paying attention to this industry, I'd say that we're about average. I can tell you that getting out of school in 1992, coming out of the bad 80s, companies, you know, Siba Geige, and name all these companies that used to exist back then, they weren't running there to beat down your door to hire you because there were no jobs, there was no economy. So I'd say this is ag economy average, which is Pretty decent, really.
1: I think that's right. And I, and I think, you know, agricultural success is about profitability. It's not about product, producing the highest yield. Sometimes they'll go, those go hand in hand. But the farmers that are really successful are good business managers. You know, agriculture is a business, and and the successful farmers are good business managers. They're as good financial managers as they are crop and livestock managers. And so that's what success is all about.
0: Hence the name of this podcast, The Business of Agriculture, because we talk about that from an ag economy standpoint. And I'll have you back again in a few months or weeks when we'll talk about some of those business practices. But uh, I got to say, I do think that this industry runs for the exit, screaming fire a little faster than need be. I got to tell you, I just was flipping around the radio the other day and I heard something about Willie Nelson and farm aid concerts. I didn't know those were still going on. I remember in the eighties when that was begun, I have no idea where this money goes. If you are listening to this podcast and you've ever gotten a check from Willie Nelson, will you please email me Damien at com or Britt at com, and tell us how much money you got from the farm aid Willie Nelson tour. Cause I have no idea where it goes. And I think some of that perpetuates this belief that everybody out here is in their bib overalls with uh you know their their pants are being held up with binder twines and they're all dead broke i'd say this is ag economy average any closing thoughts on ag economy
1: well i think that ag economy as you say goes through cycles and we have some downturns and upturns but on the average the economy's been strong
0: for the last uh, many years now there is a pocket i'm understanding there's a little pocket Uh, Some of the ag lending groups that I speak to tell me, oh, 10% of our book is a little distressed. But if 10% of your book is a little distressed, after we went from $135 billion net farm income in 2013 and 14 down to, I think it's going to be about 63 to 67, so roughly half, if 10% of your book is distressed after we saw a 50% decline in net farm income, I still say we're holding up pretty well.
1: I think I think we're holding up very well and it's, it's back to again to the, to the successful business managers that are uh, maintaining even uh, successful farms with the downturn in the prices for a while
0: Jack, I can't help it. Uh, okay, this we're moving on to topic number three here on the business of agriculture podcast. With me, your host, Damien Mason. Follow me at Damien P Mason on Twitter. Uh, like me, uh, stalk me, etc. On Facebook, that's Damien Mason, professional speaker. Find me on LinkedIn. You can email me your thoughts. I would just appreciate you listening here to my new podcast because Jack Britz, from a dairy background, who studied dairy, and he got. Got hooked on embryo transfer. That's what took him away from the farm. Embryo transfer. Next time somebody says, what took you away from the farm? Oh, it might have been a girl. Might have been the promise of City Lights. Nope, for him it was embryo transfer. All right, he's a dairy guy just like I am. And us dairy kids have a kindred spirit, if you will. We stick together. You're now doing a lot of talks at dairy groups, and some of them I have done because they like a person like me that can be funny and talk about ag issues with a dairy background. With you, they probably want somebody that's brilliant that can talk about dairy issues. We, uh, We must say, what are you talking about when you have a presentation called Dairy in 50 Years? What do you tell them?
1: Uh, we, we had a team that I put together about two years ago, and we started looking at what's dairy going to be like in the U.S. and around the world in 50 years, and so we're looking at what's going to change in terms of the cow and the farm and the dairy operation. Uh, we're going to see increased efficiency, increased output. Uh, we're going to see actually use of a lot of natural-based products that are just under development today, we're gonna to displace actually a lot of antibiotics and, dr- and drugs that are used today with natural-based products that we're just beginning to discover and understand. So, dairying is actually gonna be quite exciting in the future.
0: I certainly, all one has to do is look at the history to see increased efficiency. I made this point, point uh, a number of times. When we crossed the 50 pounds per cow average on the Mason dairy farm when I was a kid in the 80s, My old man thought that was amazing because he was raised as a herdsman's son, milking cows for other people growing up. And uh, the guy I rent some of my land to now as a large-scale dairy operator, he's at 85, 86 pounds per cow. But efficiency, that's great. That's wonderful. But again, that's production. And we got too much milk on the world market. We have had for 30 years. You go and tell the average customer how, how efficient we are, they're going to say, big deal. Natural products, that is going to be a big one. That's going to be a big one because there is the perception that we're out here sticking these cattle with all kinds of hormones. We're giving them all sorts of uh, uh, you know un- unnatural drugs to get to that productive level. When you say natural products, you're talking about things that enhance production and keep the cow healthier? Well, uh, there's two, two
1: areas uh, that we, we're talking a lot about. One is what we call the, the microbiome. That's the, all the organisms that are in the gut and in the rumen and uh, in, in the farmstead. We're just learning about that and what we're finding out is that s- w- with amazing effects if we can control some of the microbiome in the cows in the farmstead to give us better environments, healthier cows, better crops, better yields, using stuff that's there naturally that we just haven't understood and we just now are getting to the scientific level where we can understand. That.
0: Do you see, as I do, uh, we're going to sell milk because we're going to have more cheese. I think the fluid milk goes away. My understanding is every uh, developed country is drinking less fluid milk than they were 20 and 30 years ago with the exception of Australia. So we're going to see less milk consumption but not milk consumption, meaning less fluid milk but there's going to be more cheese and value-added products. Dairy product
1: consumption is going to go up. I can see that uh, we've been a little reluctant in the dairy business to, to play around with milk. But there are some companies that are doing that now that have new businesses and new products that are altering milk by maybe taking out the lactose and adding more protein. And they're and they're having a great market. And so I think we'll see dairy products that are real innovative coming down the road in the next 10 or 20
0: years. I'm a purist. I still drink whole milk. I put it, I put a teaspoon and a quarter of Nestle Quick in it and a scoop of ice cream. Uh, but I think Fairlife located right here in Indiana is doing some great things with that altering the milk, giving the customer value added product that they perceive as better or healthier or different. All right.
1: Fairlife is a great example. I think Fairlife is a product that uh, has been very successful.
0: And, And here's the thing too many commodity thinkers in agriculture won't want to tamper with something but you know to take milk and give it a little spin and do a little something different you know you yank it through the centrifuge or you, you you do this that's how we got to homogenization that's how we got to then selling one percent and two percent so if the next marketplace demands fair life or whatever it is we should be willing to experiment and put that out there for the market because yeah. the market rewards you
1: i enjoy eggnog at christmas time we ought to be selling eggnog year round <laughs> and,
0: you know, the thing is uh, do, you, do you spike it or do you drink it pure Both. (laughs) Okay, good for you. Talking to Jack Britt. He is my guest here on the business of agriculture. We're going to wrap things up. He's a scientist. He's an entrepreneur. He's a teacher. He's also a friend of the show, and I promise to have him back because he's got good stuff to talk about. Jack, you're a consultant. You're a generally smart guy. You know about this business. Share your parting thoughts, a piece of advice, whatever you can with anybody that's involved in agriculture, our listeners.
1: You know, I think the greatest thing that we've done in agriculture over the last several decades is improve the environment in the agricultural sector. Uh, We put more land back into conservation. We put more land back into forestry. We're doing a better job of managing the land that we have. Uh, We've got some things that we still need to work on, but by and large, our livestock are healthier, our crops are better, and uh, the, the agricultural environment is better than it's been in my lifetime.
0: Uh, agreed on all fronts, from buffer strips to conservation tillage to holding our soil where it's supposed to be. We can improve on all of these things, but my goodness, compared to the old days, it's amazing. Listeners, go tell that story that Jack Britt just told you that it's better today than it has ever been since man first broke the soil and put seeds in there and domesticated ox to make them into beef. Agriculture is doing a better job for the environment than we've ever done, and we're feeding seven and a half billion people to boot. Is that the story you want our friends to take and tell? Absolutely. You're right on target. All right. There's Jack Britt. He's going to come back here on the business of agriculture. I thank you for joining me where we try to give you something interesting, something informative, an insight to take away. Join me again on the business of agriculture. Thanks a lot. See you next time.